I'm so glad to be with you guys this evening. Um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I told you that I was not raised in a Christian home. In fact, I didn't become a believer until I was 13 years old. Well, another significant part of my story is actually that I was also raised by a single mom. And my uh, mom was an amazing mom. She actually instilled in both my sister and I um, just this deep uh, knowledge that we could be whatever we wanted to be. Um, she, she just told us, whatever your dreams are, you can go after them. It does not matter that you are woman. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. And actually, the teachers in my life and um, the other adults in my life, they also instilled this truth into me. Dream big dreams. You can do whatever you want. Now, as long as you have a little skill and competency, right? I mean, you can't be a rocket scientist if you really stink at science. But otherwise, go for your dreams. And so I headed off to college with, with this kind of conquer the world mentality, big dreams. And I wound up in my college classes and, and just loved this whole experience. And uh, it was also, though, this kind of disorienting time in my life. It was disorienting because on the one hand, um, it was this time of spiritual growth for me. And so that was a little disorienting, but in a really positive way. Like I was learning about God. I was reading his scriptures for the first time. I was engaging in church. I was engaging in Christian community. But on the other hand, it was a little bit disorienting because I started to see women doing things differently in the Christian community than I had seen in other places. I started to see these amazing women with all of these gifts and skills and abilities, and it seemed like they just checked those at the door when they got to church. And they would go into church, and it was there that the men would do all of the significant leading, significant teaching and so that was really disorienting for me, and I didn't know quite what to make of it. It was also in this season that my husband and I started dating. And, um, well, of course, we weren't husband and wife yet because we were just dating, but we quickly discovered that we were going to get married. And so we started to want to know, what does it mean to be in a Christian relationship? What does it mean to have a God-honoring relationship? And so we started reading all of these books about marriage and, and how to have a Christian home. We even went to some conferences and heard some teaching. And it was here that I started to hear some things like, he will be your leader and you will follow him. And he will be your spiritual leader, which means you actually, you just get to sit back and relax. He has got it under control. When, when you stand before Jesus, he actually has to give an accounting for you now. We also heard things like, he should make all of the big decisions, and you will just agree with them. So we got married, and um, I decided, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this amazing Christian wife, and we're going to have this amazing Christian home. I'm going to do this really well. And so I tried really hard. And, and so for him to be my spiritual leader, for me, that meant that he was going to lead us in, in nightly devotionals, and he was going to pray for us, and I was just going to listen and soak it in. <laughs> he was just going to give me all kinds of wisdom. 
The other thing it meant for me is that I was also going to create this kind of sanctuary that our home was going to be. He would come home and everything would be taken care of. There would be a hot meal on the table. He would not have to lift a finger. And I would look amazing every night. Because that's what marriage is, right? And I tried. I mean, I really, really tried to do this. And our first year of marriage was terrible. It was just terrible because I couldn't actually shove myself in to this mold of woman that I had created for myself to be. I was an epic failure at it. And he, he wasn't actually living up to all of my unspoken expectations of him. Our nightly devotionals, of which I had bought him a couple books just to set him up to do this really well. (laughs) Our nightly devotionals were just not very good. And it's not him. It's just that's not how it was supposed to work with us. And it was so hard and disorienting. And I actually started to become depressed because not only was I failing, I also somehow believed that, that my worth and my value were somehow determined by him. And since our marriage was really struggling, then I must be worthless. There must be something wrong with me. So we tried and it didn't work. Now, I I need to let you know that this was my doing and not his. He actually never wanted to be my spiritual leader in that way. He never wanted to be in charge of my spiritual health. He never wanted to be in charge of me. He just wanted to be married to me. See, there's so many distorted views about what it means to be a woman, isn't it? Especially in the Christian culture. Whether you tie it to a husband or a man or whether it has something else to do with how you're supposed to be, even as a single woman, there's all these distorted views about what it means to be a woman and how we are supposed to honor God with our femaleness. See, even this week, my heart was broken open again as I was reading through the news feeds, and I was seeing that once again, we were struggling with what women should do in the church because a prominent preacher came out, and he said that women should not be pastors, and women should not teach or lead in any capacity in the church or in seminaries. And this is a God-honoring man doing the best he can. And for me, I thought, oh, Lord, am I wrong? Because, see, this is too important to get wrong, and I I don't want to be wrong. Am I wrong, Lord? And so my heart was broken again as I had to wrestle with this. And then my heart was broken again because the Larry Nasser case was going through the news. And this man was standing on trial and 156 women paraded before the court to talk about abuse after abuse after abuse at the hands of this one man. And as I was listening to this and reading this, I thought, this is not the sin of just one man. This is the sin of an entire community that has systematically covered up, allowed this to happen just because they were getting good results. And so we sacrifice these young girls at the hands of this man who is full of evil. See, 
it reminded me that having a distorted view about the value and the purpose and the worth of women is not only discouraging to us, it can be downright dangerous, can it? And honestly, I think it breaks God's heart. I think it breaks his heart to see his daughters treated in this way. And I think we, as his daughters, we need to know and understand what does it mean that he has created us as women? What does it mean that we are a suitable helper? What does it mean? And that was my heart behind our lesson this week, is that you would sit at the feet of Jesus and that you would read over these scriptures for yourself because it matters that you know what it means. Not someone else, not what they have told you, not what you have seen, but that you know because you have worked it out with the Lord. And so that was my heart behind our lesson. And that's what I want us to do this evening. I want us to take one more look. What does it mean to be created as a woman? And to start, we actually need to step back and ask, what does it mean to be created as a human? And so let's start in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. And if you have your Bible, I would love for you to get it out because I want you to underline a few things in this passage. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says this, And then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, in order for us to understand what it means to be a woman, we first need to understand what does it mean to be human? And I think you will see quickly through this verse that all humanity starts with the same divine calling and the same image. All of humanity starts with the same divine calling and the same image. Look back in verse 26. The calling for us is to rule. Underline that word rule in your Bible. See, we have been called to co-rule, to co-reign, to co-regent this earth that God created for us and placed us in. That is the divine calling, male and female, all of humanity has been given. Side by side, equal in purpose and calling. And it is also important to note that we also have the same image. All of humanity has the same image. So what does it mean to bear God's image? Well, there's a couple of things that I think that means. First, I think bearing the image of God means that you and I, we have immeasurable worth. Because we bear the image of God, we have immeasurable worth. You think about in ancient times, coins were stamped with the king's image. And that's actually what gave that coin worth. The same is true today, right? Our coins, our, our dollars, our money, our currency is backed by the U.S. Treasury. And that's what gives it worth and value. It'd be really nice if I could create my own money, but it wouldn't be worth anything, right? Not because I'm not worth something, but because I can't actually back it. So 
We, though, have the image of God impressed upon us. His image. There is no one greater than the king, the creator of the universe, who has placed his image on us. That's the backing we have. So we have immeasurable value and worth. Bearing the image of God, though, also means that you and I, we have unmatched dignity. We have unmatched dignity. Dignity just means that we are worthy of honor and respect. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Last week when Sissy was talking about creation, she told us about the creation accounts, the different creation accounts. One of the common themes of those creation accounts is that the gods would give their image to one person, which was the king. And then all of the other humans were actually created as slaves to serve this king and this God. See, now the biblical creation account is so vastly different because it says that God gives all of humanity his image. That means none of us have been created to be slaves, but we have been created to rule and reign together as God's representatives on earth. That means we have unmatched dignity. And that means it matters how we treat people. Because every human on this planet, from the beginning of time until Jesus comes back, has unmatched dignity because they bear the image of God. Barry Jones, IBC pastor, in his book Dwell, says this, He says, in the ancient world, it was understood that if you defiled the image of God, you were acting directly against the God itself. What you did to that image, you did to God. This principle applies equally well to the images of God in the Bible. To mistreat, exploit, or dishonor a human being, any human being, is a direct affront to the God who made people and whose image they bear. See, it matters how we treat people because to mistreat another human is a direct affront to our God because they are an image bearer. That means it matters how we are treated and how we treat others, and it matters how we treat ourselves too, doesn't it? Because sometimes we aren't very kind to ourselves, and we mistreat and dishonor ourselves, and that is a direct affront to our God. The other part about bearing God's image is how he specifically bears it in women. He says, being an easer is part of bearing God's image. God says in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. I will make an easer connecto. See, so how we as women bear the image of God is as an easer. And that's why I had you look through our lesson and look at all of the uses of this word easer. Because see, when we think of the word easer, we think of something small. We think of, we think of somebody that does menial work, work that perhaps other people are totally capable of doing. They just don't want to do. And so they need a helper to help them do it. 
And that's why I wanted you to dig into all 21 uses of this word. 16 of them, the vast majority, have to do directly with God. And they describe him as a rescuer, as a shield, as someone who comes in in times of need. He is a warrior on behalf of his people. And Ezer is a characteristic that he has endowed to us. It doesn't mean we are the rescuer. He is the rescuer, but he has given that part of his image to us. We are strong helpers. We are not helpers that just do the work that somebody doesn't want to do. We are warrior helpers. Carolyn Custis James says it this way, Ezer is an explicit way that God's daughters are called to image God. She is a warrior on behalf of God's kingdom, and she joins the man in battling the darkness, advancing God's kingdom, and watching his back. Ezer is an explicit way that we image God. It was never meant to be reduced to what we have reduced it to. So all of humanity starts with this same divine calling and purpose. The same calling to walk together as a blessed alliance, male and female, doing the work of ruling and reigning together. And as his image bears, all of humanity has immeasurable value and worth, and we have unmatched dignity. And we women in this room... We are also easers, strong helpers. Sadly, though, we never actually get to see this male and female blessed alliance working together, do we? No sooner does Adam meet Eve than sin intrudes. We don't even get one verse to see how they would live out as male and female together, not even one verse, because sin barges in, and sin distorts God's image and calling. Carolyn Custis James, who's done a lot of work on what it means to be male and female, she says it this way, the enemy's first assault is beyond brilliant. With a single blow, the enemy destroys the powerful alliance. The two foundational pillars on which God's kingdom stands, God's image bearers are cut off from their creator and a chasm opens between the male and the female. Instead of thriving on life-giving relationships of God, God's image bearers go into hiding. Instead of a blessed alliance between male and female, the battle of the sexes commences and it is an utter disaster. And it is with this assault that patriarchy takes over. Adam blames Eve, and then he names Eve. And God then recognizes this new reality that you are going to live under. He says in Genesis 3:16, to Eve, as a result of the fall, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, this is a really important concept that we need to understand. God is describing the new reality. He is not prescribing his best. See, he did all of the prescribing in Genesis 1 and 2 when he said, male and female, co-rule, co-reign. And now he is describing, instead of ruling together, 
one will rule over the other. This is the description of what it's going to look like from here on out. And we know this is true in our lives, right? I mean, we see it in scripture, but we know it's true for us. Every single woman in this room has a story, multiple stories of how you have been ruled over instead of ruled alongside. I have many from being groped on a middle school bus to being harassed by one of my first bosses, spiritually being ruled over, being, being suppressed by a man who pulled me aside when he found out I was going to go to seminary and looked me in the eye and said, are you sure? Because you're a woman. Do you really need to do that? Trying to sideline me as a woman to not be prepared for ministry. There are story after story about what it is to be ruled over, but we need to be honest about this. It's not just us. It's not just the sisters and the women in this room. Our brothers feel the same pain because they are ruling over one another. People are trying to rule over each other. We don't know how to rule together. We're always trying to figure out who is the strongest, who's on top. And nobody wins when we live this way. Our sin has broken the relationship, broken the blessed alliance, and changed the way God wanted us to live. But here's the good news. And there's always good news because we worship Jesus. The good news is That as soon as sin comes in, God sets out in loving pursuit of us to restore the calling. He sets out to restore what he originally wanted from us. God restores and reminds us of our divine calling. And there is a thread that runs through scripture that I want you to see of these women who call out to us from the pages of scripture that show us what it looks like to be an easer, what it looks like to be a strong helper in the midst of a highly patriarchal culture where truly women were only valued for who they were married to or the sons that they bear. God made sure that we would see these women, that their stories would not get erased for us. And so we need to pay attention to them because they have something to teach us. And so I want to introduce a few of them to you tonight. First is Miriam. Miriam is Moses' sister, and she is called a prophet of the Lord. In Exodus fifteen twenty, do you know what a prophet of the Lord is? A prophet of the Lord is someone who speaks directly for God. She speaks for God. And then we move forward to Deborah in Judges chapters 4 and 5. Let me read this verse to you. It says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She also is a prophet. She speaks on behalf of God. And she is leading the nation of Israel. She's leading the entire nation. Don't miss it. And she's married. And God did not ask her husband to do it. He asked her to do it. And when you read further, you find out that she led the nation into battle. She is a strong example for us. Read Judges 4 and 5. Deborah is a woman you need to know. 
And there's so many other women in the Old Testament, we don't have time to cover them. Like Hagar and Rachel and Leah and Abigail and Esther and Hannah and Ruth and Naomi. So many women that God has made sure they would not be missed. So let's not miss them. And then we move into the New Testament. And there's Mary of Bethany. Mary takes on the posture of a rabbinical student as she sits at the rabbi Jesus' feet. Now to say that this is inappropriate in this day and age is a big understatement. She should not have done that. And do you know what Jesus does? He affirms her. And he says to her, you have chosen what is best. And he teaches her and he equips her for ministry. And we see her living out her calling in the pages of the New Testament. See, Jesus does this over and over again. Every single time he interacts with a woman, he bestows dignity and honor and respect on her. In fact, Jesus has his first witnesses the first missionary disciples, those sent out to spread the good news of his resurrection, are two women. And this is in a culture where women's testimony does not stand up in court. And he sends two women. He rests the gospel on their shoulders. He entrusts them with it. He says, go and tell, and they do. They are up for the task. And then we move in to the New Testament church and we meet this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And in Acts 18, 24 through 26, they take aside Apollos. Now, what I love about this passage is, is Apollos is this preacher. And he's actually, scripture tells us that he knows a lot about scripture. And yet this couple takes him aside. And, and Priscilla is the wife and, and, and it's astounding because her name is listed first, which means she did the teaching. And they take this learned preacher aside and they explain the way more adequately to him. Don't miss that. She taught a preacher more about the gospel. And then we learn that Phoebe, she was a deacon in the church. And Junia, she's called an apostle. And Paul says that women are his co-laborers. Woman after woman after woman through the pages of New Testament calling out to us, this is what it looks like to be an easer. This is what it looks like to be a woman. And this is in this strong patriarchal culture. And God made sure that we would see it, so don't miss it. It makes me think about Luke 10 too, when Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out his workers into the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and the same is true today. Why would Jesus send out half the workforce? Why? Because if the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, we need every single person harvesting. We women are needed. Every bit of our gifting and our calling is needed. We need to bring Jesus to a hurting and dying world. We cannot sit back just because we are women saying, oh no, that's for the men to do. It is too important. It is high and holy work that has been put on your life and you are needed to do it. 
The New Testament explicitly exhorts us to live out in this restored way. It says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, there is not supposed to be any religious hierarchy anymore. Not based on race, not based on class, not based on gender. We are all one in Christ. We are all needed to go out and do the important work that God is calling us to do. And for as broken as our relationships have gotten, there are brothers out there that are cheering you on. There are brothers out there that have been cheering me on. My husband is my greatest champion. He is a man who believes in my calling before I do. And he makes me better. And then there's the men that I actually get to work alongside here with at IBC. Men that call out my gifting. Men that say, no, we need you here. Men that have started to say, actually, we are so much better when we rule together. When we go out together as a blessed alliance. Not trying to lord over one another, but together. See, I think perhaps because I've, I've tasted a little bit of this blessed alliance, that's why my heart broke so much this week. That's why it was so distressing for me to hear again, no, 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 women can't do that. And it was so hard on me to see women abused. See, now I know those stories have nothing to do with each other. They are miles apart. But to me, they echo something that is similar about our distorted view of women and who we've been created to be and the dignity and honor and the work that we've been given to do. It reminds me of one of my last papers that I wrote in seminary where I got to address some of these challenging New Testament passages because there are a handful of passages in the New Testament that seem to indicate that we shouldn't do some things. And I tackled these passages in this paper, writing it for a professor who believed very different than I did, which was a little bit risky for me because he could have totally torn down my arguments and failed me. But I knew I had to write it. And as I walked through these passages, I made the argument that these passages are actually need to be interpreted in the cultural and historical context that they have been written in. So when Paul says a woman should be silent, I believe, and it's not just me, there are many people that believe this, that Paul is talking specifically to that church and that day and age. And therefore, that is not a universal principle for every woman throughout all of history. And when you start to look at the cultural and historical context, you start to see that. And then when you compare that to the pages of scripture and all of the women that have not been silent, it just makes sense. And so I laid out my argument. And at the very end of the paper, I said, there's just too much gray area here. And if I have to err, I must err on the side of grace. Because I will stand before Jesus someday, and I will look him in the eye, and I do not want him to say to me, 
Oh, I had so much more for you to do. I gave you these gifts. I set out these opportunities. I had so much more for you. No, I want to stand before my Lord and Savior, and I want to say, Jesus, I did everything I could. I tried to be the easier warrior that you created me to be, and I used every gift that you gave me, and I went after every opportunity because I believed that the harvest was plentiful, but the workers were few, and I didn't want to not be one of your workers, and so I went. And I want him to look me in the eye and say, well done, well done, and that's what I want for you. Every single one of us, we will stand before Jesus someday, and we need to be able to say we did everything we could. We did everything we could. We were strong warriors for you, Lord. And we worked hard to be a blessed alliance with our brothers. And we loved well. And we told people about your gospel. Lord, we did everything we could. And he will say, well done, well done. See, we have been called to high and holy work, ladies. Do not let anyone tell you differently. You are not created as a helper to do menial labor. You have been created as a warrior helper. And we need you to go out into the harvest field. Every single one of us needs to be on mission. We are all called to be missionary disciples. You are easers. So go be an easer. Let me pray. Gracious Jesus, thank you that you endowed your image to us, that we are created in your image. It is astonishing to think about. And then you gave us this beautiful easer as a way to bear your image. Oh, Lord Jesus, may we be women that go out to do the work that you've called us to do. Help us to live into the high and holy calling. Lord, help us to partner with our brothers to do this sacred work. May people know about you because of us. Lord Jesus, the harvest is plentiful. We want to be your workers. Send us to the harvest. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.